This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 366. We basically had a meeting where we decided we weren't going to buy the thing we went to have the meeting about. But because we spoke up and said, well, what else you got? We landed probably our best deal. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everyone? This is Brandon, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. David Green. David Green, what's up, man? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Um, it is dumping rain over here, which is very odd for California. So, uh, <laughs> is it odd for San Francisco in the winter? I feel like that's all it does. Mm, probably fog more so, mm. but yeah, California in general, we don't get a whole lot of rain. It's you like you forget it exists until it happens. Mm. Well, I understand that. I understand that. Well, I escaped that because I didn't want to live in Washington anymore. And now I live in Hawaii. Oh, I know speaking, why I was going to tell oh, you about the rain. Because I have two flips going on right now. And the oh, rain is fancy. keeping the contractors from getting out there. That's mm. I was wondering why I brought that up in the first place. But I just realized <laughs> it's, I was, I didn't, didn't factor in for rain because we never get it. So in other words, you were just, you were just starting conversations so you could talk about yourself. So it's like, hey, do you do CrossFit? Oh, I actually do. I do CrossFit every day. Is that, is that kind of thing, wasn't it? Admit it. I have to fit my <laughs> CrossFit in between not eating meat and having like a healthy, clean food I lifestyle. believe you do. Well, you ruined my segue, so I'm going to do it anyway. Speaking of Washington, today's guest is Henry Washington. Mm. Like that? Was that a pretty good? <laughs> that was pretty good. Because <laughs> Washington rains a lot. Yes. Nicely yes. done, B. Well, see? Thanks. Uh, our guest today is Henry Washington, real estate investor out of the Ar- Arkansas. Am I saying that right? Arkansas? No, it's Arkansas. Arkansas. I don't know how to pronounce anything. <laughs> The Arkansas, Arkansas uh, market, super legit investor. I met him at BPCon 2019. I was really impressed by him in a story. And I said, you have to come on the podcast and tell it. Uh, the guy's done, he's got 40 doors in the last, just been doing this for two, two years, 40 doors, doing over half a dozen flips a year. And just has such a great way of thinking about real estate and growing his business. You guys are going to love it today. So hang tight for all of that. But before we get to today's interview with Henry, let's get to today's Quick tip. Quick tip. All right, today's quick tip is simple. Something Henry talks about on the show today. He actually landed his first deal. He's going to tell you the story. He landed his first deal simply by doing what this quick tip is. Tell other people what you're doing. We've said it before on the show, but I'm going to say it again because people still don't do it. If you're trying to invest in real estate, tell people, hey, I'm getting into real estate investing or I'm trying to invest in real estate or I'm a real estate investor. Do you have any deals? Those questions are or I should say those statements to people are going to land you deals if you do it consistently enough. Let everybody in your circle know that you invest in real estate. And that is today's quick tip. Quick tip. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com/bp to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. 
Select from six, 12, and 24 months short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. As home prices and interest rates continue to rise and inventory levels dip, it's getting harder to find quality flips and wholesale deals. When there's not enough on-market inventory to go around, it's time to start looking off-market. Lucky for you, there are millions of homeowners nationwide who own a property they need to get off their hands. I got two words for you, my friend. PropStream it. PropStream is the leading real estate data provider and recognized as a Tech 100 honoree by Housing Wire for the fourth consecutive year. With PropStream, you can search over 155 million properties nationwide using 120 plus search filters like pre-foreclosure, bankruptcy, pre-probate, failed listings, and more to help you find motivated sellers in seconds. PropStream offers both public record data and an MLS sales estimate that's over 99% accurate to help you get the most accurate comps even in non-disclosure states. PropStream also provides lead automation, skip tracing, and a marketing suite with emails, postcards, and custom landing pages to close more deals efficiently. Get started today with their seven-day free trial and get 50 leads for free. Head on over to www.propstream.com BP. That's www.propstream.com BP. And now it's time for the interview with Henry Washington. Again, so many good things in this interview, this story about how we got to 40 doors in the last just couple of years of doing it while still working a full-time job. Make sure you listen to his, his idea of like the deal funnel, how he's built that. Uh, in multiple different ways of getting deals and why that's so important. In the deal deep dive, he walks through an amazing property. I, I call it like the better than burr. It's like even better than a normal burr deal. You'll love that. And then in the fire round, we talk about something called the four, we actually name it on the thing I stole from David, the four C principles with contractors. So there's a four C principle when dealing with contractors. And if you follow this mentality, this process, you're going to have a million times easier uh, time of dealing with contractors. And you won't do what I did like last Friday night, which was drive around at 10 o'clock at night looking for an ATM machine to pay a contractor. Don't do that. Don't do what I did. Instead, follow the four C principle. So hang tight for that. And without further ado, let's get to today's interview with Henry Washington. Mr. Henry Washington, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast, man. Good to have you here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. So let's get into your story. So you and I met at the Bigger Pockets Conference 2019, and I was like, I got to get this guy in the podcast because his story is incredible. And that's uh, that's how this came to be. So why why would I say that, Henry? Tell us your story. Start at the <laughs> beginning. What did you do before real estate? How did you get into it? Sure. Let's go from there. Yeah, I've spent most of my career working in the IT industry. So I've done 
uh, software development and data analytics for uh, big retail mostly. And let's see. So I moved uh, to Arkansas where I'm at in 2010 and it was just me and I was here by myself and I was working and, and, you know, life was great. I'd, I'd make a paycheck and then I'd spend a paycheck. And, uh, and then I got married. So I met my wife and 365 days after the day we met, we got married. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, that went fast. And then I'd say maybe about six months into being married, we had had a conversation and we we're talking about what we wanted our future to look like and family and kids and all that. And so in the middle of the night that night, I woke up literally in a panic <laughs> because, you know, I had gone from this single guy, you know, just good job, educated. And uh, now all of a sudden I've got a wife and we're talking about having a kid and I had no savings, like none. I had $1,000 in a savings account. And I knew that that wasn't going to be enough to support a wife and child. Like if anything goes wrong, I, you know, I was going to be in a, in a tough place. And so literally two in the morning started Googling like how to make extra money and started Googling passive income and side hustles. And I came across a Ted talk where a guy was talking about passive income streams and the way he said, there's tons of passive income streams, but you know, he uses real estate and rentals. And I thought, eh, we like real estate, you know, we'll stop and look at open houses for no reason. So, you know, why don't I look into this real estate thing? And finally was able to go back to sleep. And the next day I reached out to a real estate uh, agent friend of mine who worked at the same place I worked. And uh, she was super thrilled to kind of that I was into it and literally brought me a box of books and was like, <laughs> and was like pick one and read it. And so uh, the one I picked was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Nice. I read it and was was hooked from there and decided, OK, well, I'm going to do I'm going to do real estate and I'm going to buy a rental. I figured I could, I'm a people person. I didn't, I didn't have any fears about being a landlord or, or what that was like. So I knew from there, I wanted to figure out how to buy a rental property. And so that's kind of, that's kind of what got, what got the wheels turning. What do you think it is about rich dad, poor dad? Because I mean, we talk about that on the show a lot, right? A lot of people, I mean, myself included in there, uh, it changed our life and pointed us towards real estate, though it's not a real estate book. Why, why is that? What, what about that book made that uh, such a thing? So I think one thing I got from it that actually isn't technically related to my real estate background, but kind of, so A, I think it's super motivating. Like it just motivates you as a regular guy to feel mm -hmm. like I can do something powerful, right? And I can do something that's going to change my life and my family's life. Uh, but I think that one of the most important takeaways I took was the, the concept of paying yourself first. That's not something... I had ever thought about or done before. I had always paid all my bills and then tried to save. And that worked for like two weeks and then mm -hmm. it didn't work anymore. And, and so I told my wife, I said, Hey, after reading this book, I said, let's just set aside 10% of our income first. We'll pay our tithes and then we'll pay ourselves and then we'll figure out the rest. And I said, we'll just put it in a savings account. I said, if, you know, if something crazy happens, it'll be there. It's not like we're spending the money. It'll be there. And let's just try that. And let's 
let's continue down the real estate path. But in, if in 12 months I've never done a deal, I did the math on 10% of our income. I said, look at how much we'll have in our savings account. That's way better than the thousand we have now. And uh, I mean, that was just a powerful thing. Uh, taking that little step and watching that money grow showed me that there was the, that the words in the book were going to actually be helpful for me. And so yeah. I think it's just a motivating book. You know, that concept of like paying yourself first, it's a, it's a common thing. And, you know, like Rich Dad, Poor Dad talks about it and the richest man in Babylon talks about it. Dave Ramsey talks about it. And it's so how it's so simple. yet so powerful. Right. And now a lot of people will say, you know, well, I don't have any money to set aside for savings. But the fascinating thing, and Mike McCallowitz, who was a guest on the Bigger Pockets business podcast recently, he makes this point about the reason we do that, even if it's just a dollar or two dollar or five dollar, is because it's more of a mental game than yep. it is a, a tangible one. Like you're not getting rich necessarily off 10% of your paycheck going into oh, a, a savings account, but it's more of a mental thing. So what do they do mentally to you? Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I was going to say is the, big, the, the thing I think is, that is a, a key uh, for an entrepreneur to be successful, right? It's, it's mindset, right? right? It's, it's, I think differently now, two years into this real estate journey than I ever thought before starting. Right. And it's, uh, it's just a lot of, it's the power of knowing you can do something, knowing you can take nothing and turn it into something. Mm, right. Yeah. And when you know, you can do that, it, it kind of takes away from some of the fear, uh, that investing can bring. Right. And, you know, the one thing I, I tell people I like to do now that I that I never did before is when when I do have a fear about something, when I have a fear about an investment or a fear about making a decision, I try to write those fears down. Right. I'll put them on a piece of paper because I want to see I want to I want it. I want I want to the, the chemical reaction of writing it down and then looking at it mm. to say, OK, is this a legit fear? And I take those fears and then I write down what some of the actual uh, things I can do to alleviate those fears are. And if there's little things I can do to alleviate those fears that can help me take that step, then I know like the fear wasn't really a big deal. It was just something we just kind of have these uh, predetermined fears in our mind that aren't really real. And so by writing it down and thinking through what are the things I can do to alleviate those fears, it kind of helps me get over them. And it helps me to move forward and kind of keeps you out of that analysis paralysis or just mm. fear for no reason kind of things yeah. that entrepreneurs tend to get. Yeah, that's really good. I know a lot of people when they're learning, I want to learn something. They come looking for a step-by-step process, just like a formula. Tell me, and I hear this all the time. Tell me, where do I get the deals? Like there's this idea that there's a website. If you tell me what the right website is, I'll go there. They have the deals and I can buy it. And it's that simple. And when people realize it's not that simple is when they lose heart. And I've noticed that the people like you, Henry, and we're about to tell people like what you've actually done in the period of time you did, which is where this credibility comes from that I guess we probably should have established before we started talking <laughs> to you. It's very, very impressive. Trust me. It is the mindset is what the common denominator is with the people that are successful. And the thing about rich dad, poor dad, to me, that really stood out was it was actually kind of an offensive concept to a lot of people, but it was that rich people think differently, mm -hmm. right? That wealth is a result of how you think. Whereas we like to believe, well, wealthy people think that way because they started with wealth. And so that's why they think that way, but it's not, it's they became wealthy because they look at money differently. And that little thing, like paying yourself first, I'm going to set aside 10%, 20% of my money and I got to make it work with everything else. And if there's not enough, well, then I better get another job where I better make coffee at my house instead of Starbucks or whatever little change you have to make is what rich people do with money. They don't earn money through W-2 jobs. Right. 
They don't pay as much taxes on their money. They think about investments and something that will grow when they're not working. And really, if you learn to think like rich people think, what Robert Kiyosaki figured out was that you will get the results rich people get. And I don't know why when it comes to money, it is so hard for human beings to get that through their head because it's like that with everything else in life, right? If you want to get a better body, then you do what people who have good bodies do. You eat the food they eat, you work out that they eat, and boom, you get the body, right? We would never go to someone who's in really good shape and say, <laughs> I'm not going to listen to your advice because you you already look really good, right? Like, of course you think that way. Right. But with money, that's what we do is like, well, he's just a rich a-hole. Why am I going to listen? He doesn't know what it's like to be me. Like, yeah, that's exactly why you should listen to him because he doesn't know what it's like to be you. Your way doesn't work. Your way gets you the result you get. And I love like, Henry, you have a, you have a talent for explaining this in very easy to way, understanding that you got to think like this. And, and actually I'm looking through the notes and you have such a solid, simple process for how to know when to buy, when not to buy. I'm really excited to yep. get into this. Brandon, would you agree? Have you seen similar patterns with people that are successful? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it definitely is. Uh, I, how many times do we hear people talk about that rich people are lucky or, you know, I'm not wealthy, so I can't invest in real estate. It's like, it's, just, it's a, a simple mindset shift. So obviously, Henry, you made that shift by reading right. Rich Dad Poor Dad. So let's walk through that. How did you go from that to now you get the education side, you're excited, you're motivated. What did yeah. you do then with that information? Sure. The first thing I did was I decided to just tell people that I was a real estate investor and that I was buying rental properties. I hadn't bought a thing, but I wanted to put that energy out there because yeah. I knew that that's where I wanted to go. And I knew I was going to do whatever I needed to do to be successful. So why not go ahead and tell people that that's what I do? And so by doing that, a good buddy of mine came to me and said, Hey man, I heard you're, uh, you're, you're buying rental properties. Said, I have a house that I need to, I need to sell. Are you interested? And I was like, yeah, man, tell me about it. So he had a house where he and his family lived. He moved out of that house to move over to the church campus where he was going to church and he was living there to save money because he had plans of buying this larger property that uh, someone he knew in the church was going to sell to him. And so he was saving the money and he had gotten to the point where this guy had to sell that property. He had the money to buy it. He needed to buy it now. But for him to use the loan product he needed to use, he needed to sell the primary mm. residence he had before. And so he said, I got to sell it. I've got a tenant in there. I was letting him live there so we could get his credit together and then he could buy it. And that never came to fruition. So I need to sell it. Here's what I'll sell it to you for. And I ran the numbers and it was a good deal. And I said, okay, well, I'll buy it. And we talked it over and I put it under contract. Then I panicked because I had no money, <laughs> I had no money. And I didn't know how I was going to buy it. But I just <laughs> I just I was just going to figure out a way. And he understood this. Like I said, he was a buddy of mine. I said it was my he knew it was my first deal. And, I, you know, but, you know, he trusted me to figure it out. And so I went and just looked into how I could buy this thing, where I could get money from, what I could sell, like how much I needed. And so once I figured out I needed about 20 grand, I couldn't sell enough things to get 20 grand. So uh, I called a business partner. Uh, well, he's a business partner now. He wasn't at the time. He was just kind of like a, a, you know, a mentor kind of situation then. And I said, hey, I've got this deal. It's a good rental. I, I don't think I'll be able to come up with the money. Would you step in and buy it? Because, you know, we need to help this guy out. And this is kind of when I got, this is when I got that first taste of that entrepreneurial mindset. And I got it from who then turned out to be my business partner. He said, this is a good deal. He said, I can buy this deal. I will buy this deal, but you need to figure out how to buy it. Go figure it out. 
And so we sat on the phone and we brainstormed and 401k came up and I said, well, my wife has a 401k. And he was like, well, I think you can take a loan out against 401ks. And I was like, okay. So I did some research, called my wife. She called her company. They said, told her what she needed to do. She called me back and said, we can do it. And so she took out a 401k loan for the amount that we needed to close on the deal. I closed on the house. I kept the tenant in it. I raised his rents and the new rent amount covered all my expenses and the loan payment back to ourselves for the 401k. So that house is paying us back with interest for that loan. So Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And what I love about that is it, it shows that concept of uh, the, the rich dad poor dad thing of the rich people say, or real poor people say, I can't afford it. Rich people say, how do I afford it? And so you basically, right. that's what you're, that, that men- mentor of yours was like, you need to start asking the question, how do I afford it? Which is where you started asking questions and saying, hmm, because it, this wouldn't have worked though, if it wasn't a good deal, right? I mean, if this was a horrible right. deal, it wouldn't have worked. Right. It, what really got me hooked on it was, hey, now I'm getting, I'm getting, paid for an investment that I technically didn't have to use any money for. Yeah. yeah, we used some 401k money, but it was a little different. And then because we bought a good deal, I was able to take out uh, a line of credit on the equity. And I've been leveraging that to buy other properties, either to flip or to burr. So that one deal has opened the door for me to grow exponentially. That's cool. Now, did you buy that one for 20 or that was a down payment you needed to be able to buy it? That was a down payment. I paid 115 for that one and it, it was worth about 150. Okay. That's cool. What did it rent for? 1100. Okay. That's awesome. All right. So what happened after that? You bought that first deal and then you said, all right, I'm retired and you kicked your feet up and did nothing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. No, uh, after that, uh, you know, you kind of, I just had this energy and I was like, all right, well, I need to get more deals. And so uh, while I was going through that process of buying that home, I was also starting to build uh, a marketing campaign so I could do my first direct mail marketing campaign because I wanted to keep, uh, to start a lead funnel. And also at the time knew nothing about direct mail marketing. I just knew that I needed to to find a way to get deals. And so I started my first direct mail marketing campaign. And at the same time, because I was putting that energy out there of I am a real estate investor, I had another deal come to me. It was from a, re- a local realtor who, who uh, was in the same uh, real estate investors association as me. He called me and he said, hey, I heard you're buying houses. I have a deal. And uh, that deal turned out to be my first flip project. So Simultaneously, I bought a flip and started direct mail marketing. So uh, the flip, <laughs> the flip was uh, I, I've kind of heard you talk about before. We can get spoiled by our first flip. One hundred percent that situation. So I, I bought the house for one hundred and ninety thousand. It was a it was a large house, so I knew I could it, I knew I couldn't rent it and turn a profit on it. But it was a large house in a super desirable location. And the realtor had already figured out what the seller wanted to sell the house for. So I ran the numbers at that price and it, and it worked great uh, from a float perspective. So I bought it for 190 and it needed $40,000 worth of work. And I, I got to that 40 because I walked it with a couple of contractors. I had no clue walking in it the first time what it, what it actually needed. But so I took, I took a couple of people with me that knew what they were talking about. So I needed about $40,000 worth of work. And I was able to have the bank finance, they financed the purchase and the down payment. So I didn't have to bring any money to the table, but they didn't finance the rehab. 
So I had to find rehab money. Again, I had no money. So uh, this guy who was a, a mentor turned business partner, his name is Dustin. He had a, access to a line of credit. He lent me $20,000 or he lent me the 40 I needed to do the, to do the rehab. So I was able to, to basically finance a hundred percent of the deal. We rehabbed the property and it sold for three twenty five. I Whoa. believe three three twenty five in two days. Owner uh, uh, for sale by owner and the and the buyer also didn't have a real estate agent. So so you just got to kick all that as cash. I mean, like you know, save all yeah. that money. And so I was like, yeah, house flipping is awesome. Let's go buy a hundred more like that. I haven't found one that awesome since, <laughs> <laughs> but that first one was great. That's how that works. And that, that's, that's yeah. good because it builds up that confidence you need to like to just, you know, start right. moving forward on it. That's, that's right. actually fantastic. So, all right. So you, what, again, you, you figure out a way to get this deal done. In fact, for no money, cause you borrowed money, you, the bank lent the money for the purchase and the rehab. And then yeah. the, the, or sorry, the bank and the down payment, they didn't need a down payment. The rehab though, yep. you borrowed, you said from a friend. Yep. And so you just did this flip, you made a bunch of money. I mean, how much profit was that at the end of the day? Do you remember? Uh, I think after all was said and done, it was about 60,000. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. Okay. All right. So then you're also building this deal pipeline at the same time. Can you explain what, like, why that, why is that important for people listening to this show right now? Uh, Cause a lot of people just think in terms of one-off deals. They're like, I just got to get a deal. You're saying I want to build a deal pipeline. What do you mean? Absolutely. So I knew, and, and, and this is what I tell new investors all the time, but I knew that even though I was a new investor, no matter what strategy I wanted to do, whether it be rentals or flips or assignments, however I wanted to go about that business, the one thing I need is a good deal. And kind of what got me there was I I kept going to the Real Estate Investors Association meetings prior to me doing any steps myself. And all everybody was saying was, there's no good deals. There's no good deals. I want to buy a house, but there's no good deals. And what that made me think was they're not doing the work to find the good deal. So if I do it, I know I'll always have exit strategies because there's a bunch of people in this room who want deals who aren't going to go find them. Mm -hmm. So I'll go find them. Right. And so I knew that no matter what I do, I need a good deal. So I should focus on that. I should take whatever resources I have, whether that be time or money and funnel that into, to creating a pipeline of deals. And then from there, I can, you know, whatever my situation is, whatever my capital situation is, I can let that dictate what I do with those deals. Because if there's multiple exit strategies, I know that I'll make money on those deals. And so that's what I did. I I wanted to start direct mail marketing. And since I knew nothing about direct mail marketing, I just listened to different podcasts and I listened to, I, you know, read different books and I wanted to uh, send postcards. And I, I chose postcards because they were cheaper. I mean, that's, I didn't have a bunch of money at the time. As a matter of fact, I had, I had no money to market. So uh, I'll get into that in a second. So I wanted to send postcards and I didn't know what I wanted them to say. So I literally just Googled real estate investor postcards, Google them and searched them, looked them up and picked what I thought looked good and was a message that I want, want to put on there and jotted that down. I decided to mail. So the criteria I chose to mail again, I had done a bunch of research and what I would do is I would jot down uh, from these different podcasts or things like who these people were mailing for motivated sellers. And then I would go through that list. And if there was something in common with who everybody was mailing, that's who I decided not to mail. 
I wanted people to get my letter who weren't getting letters from a bunch of people in my area. I wanted to find maybe a niche market or or somebody who wasn't getting marketed to all the time because I was so new. And I figured, I, yeah. you know, I don't know how to compete with everybody. But if I can find somebody who's not doesn't have a ton of competition in that space, then maybe I'll have a better chance at getting a good deal. And so at that point, everybody was mailing to absentee owners. And so I said, great, I'm not going to mail to absentee owners. And so I picked kind of the least common sources that I would that I would researched. And, and one of those was age for me, which uh, turned out to work out really well. So I, I mailed to people with equity who were 50, age 50 or older. And kind of what that brought to the table were people who were in situations where their house was catching up to them or, you know, there was too much maintenance and they were looking for a way to sell, couldn't really sell traditionally because there was so much maintenance with the house that needed to be done for them to for them to sell traditionally, or maybe they were embarrassed by it. And so I got a really good return. I sent a thousand postcards in my first direct mail campaign and probably got 50, 50 phone calls. Wow. And uh, I'd say I looked at 10 or so houses and I think I got two to three deals out of that first direct mail campaign. So it was, uh, it was a good, it was a good start. So once the phone starts ringing and you get people on the phone, I want to talk with you about what you do to get them under contract. But before, I really like your decision-making criteria. So can you explain to people how simple it can be when you're looking at a deal and you analyze it and how you decide what to do with it? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I look at every deal that comes in from a lens of buy and hold first, because that's, that's my, that's what I want. That's my bread and butter. So, uh, you know, if I could buy every deal and keep it as a rental forever, that's what I'd do. So that lens for me is if I can run the numbers and that single family home is going to pay me over a hundred dollars a door after all the expenses, I'm going to buy it. It's, it just makes sense for me, barring that the location makes sense. But from a number standpoint, over a hundred dollars a door, nine times out of 10, I'm going to buy it. If it doesn't hit that criteria, but it may hit the, if I flip it, I could make 15 to $20,000, then I'm going to buy it so that I can flip it. Because if it hits that criteria, I can either flip it or I can get that to another investor because I know that'll meet their criteria. Mm-hmm. So when, I, when I'm going to evaluate a deal or when I'm going to make an offer on a deal, I know at, at this price point, if I get the deal, I can keep it. If I get it at this price point, I can make money. Uh, from a flip or at another way. So it kind of, it helps me when going in with negotiations because I can have multiple, multiple options for people. Now, when you say a hundred dollars a door, is that putting a certain amount of money down or is that no money down? That's, that's, uh, I do 15% down. Okay. That's cool. All right. So what, what's great about this is it just shows like, if you have a good deal, if you're out there hustling for good deals, you're, going to get leads that are coming in. Like you just put yourself out there, you did direct mail. Now, not everyone who sends a thousand postcards are going to get two or three deals. Who cares, right? Like you put yourself out there, you started getting leads coming in, you started getting deals and then you get to put them through the funnel. Everything's a funnel, right? I always say that. Everything's a funnel. So you're like, all right, so this one, it's almost like sifting. Like, you know, like as a kid, you like, you're sifting for gold or whatever. And like, the, yeah, the, the big rocks get stuck and they go to the next pan and then the middle-sized ones get stuck and they go to the next one. That's all you're doing is sifting for good deals. That should be the name of the show. Sifting for good deals with Henry <laughs> Washington. Now, uh, so like, anyway, so you're able to say, Hey, if this can work as a rental, great. If not, then I'm going to try it as a, as a, as a flip. If not, okay, I'll try it as a wholesale. If not, you know, we'll let it go. And maybe even pass, do you like pass things on to real estate agents? Like, sure. Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
But well, because I'm not an agent, one of the one of the things I did to build to build my team was uh, in order to know if you're getting a good deal, you got to run comps, right? I don't have access to the MLS, so I had to run comps. So I networked with realtors from the from the uh, real estate association, and I told them, I said, hey. Um, if you're willing to run comps for me, like any deals I don't buy that are that they don't need me, they need a realtor, I'll give them to you. And that's been a great way for me to be able to get accurate comps, because now I have a relationship with a realtor who will jump on my comps quickly when I need them run fast, because he knows that if it's uh, not going to work for me, it may work for him and he'll get a deal out of it. Um, and he'll get a listing out of it. So it's been, that's been a great relationship for me. And then he lists all my, I don't do for sale by owners anymore when I'm done rehabbing them. But so he lists all my properties, uh, after I flip them. So it's a good, you know, symbiotic relationship. That's solid. Where are you at right now in terms of your whole portfolio? Like I mean, rentals, how many flips are you doing? Wholesales? What's, what's kind of like your life look like? Sure. We're at, I'm at about 40 doors. Uh, from a rental perspective. And then we flip uh, six to 10 houses a year. Wow. That's awesome. And some, a lot of, some of the, most of, I would say half of those are whole tales where we're just buying them because they're good deals and putting them back on the market. Yeah. Wholetailing is fascinating, right? Cause you're, you're buying a property and then you're not going through a massive rehab. <laughs> yeah, you're just yeah, reselling absolutely. it again. So you're, yeah, you're flipping it with no work. That sounds like the ideal scenario. And the reason you're able to do that again is because you're good at getting leads. You have a deal funnel. The deals right. come in the top. You sift through them. You get leads. You get things that are good. So let's go back real quick because it's direct mail still your kind of main avenue for finding deals today or have you shifted away from that? Yeah, direct mail. And I have a website, a lead generation website that I that I have a Google AdWords campaign on. So the Google AdWords helps the sponsored ad rank toward mm. the top. I want to talk and, about that. Uh, yeah, That's cool. And so I get, I get a lot of leads through there. I'd say my best deals come from my website. Well, okay. Let's talk about that. So yeah. I, I want to also go back to the direct mail, but now that you brought that up now, yeah. now I'm intrigued. Yeah. You got a website, a lead mm-hmm. gen website. Is that through like, mm-hmm. who, who's that through? Or is that just your own? Like, through, through Danny, through lead propeller. Lead Pro- okay. So you got, so yeah. I have a lead propeller one as well. So you get to lead, yeah. you got a, a lead propeller website. People then either search Google or they come up on AdWords. Explain that process because some people just have no idea even how Google ads even work. So what does that look like? Sure. Yeah. So once I got the website, I needed to find a way to get that website ranked in the searchings, right? And so you can do that a couple of ways. You can do it organically, right, through uh, search engine optimization by ensuring that you have all the special right words in your website or blog content or something that's going to help when people Google help your website to come to the top. But that takes time, right? Uh, And so if you don't have the time for that, um, you can do a Google AdWords campaign. And so what that means is you basically pay Google to create uh, or pay someone to create a, a, a marketing campaign for your Google page. And, you know, you'll get a sponsored ad at the top when people search for whatever different types of, of words you put in. And so I, again, used Lead Propellers. Google AdWords team, and they were able to create just different ads for me. So when people search, you know, sell my house fast or sell a house fast in Northwest Arkansas, my ad will be at the top of the search search results and uh, it helps them to, to find me. That's cool. And of course, like you're paying for those ads. So yep. do you have any idea off the top of your head? Like what what's your average cost to acquire, so to speak, cost to acquire a customer, cost to get a home? 
What are you painting? Yeah. It depends. So it depends on like, uh, what their search was. Okay. So you pay, you pay per click and then depending on what their search was. So certain searches cost me more money. I, I would say as a whole, I pay about $500 a month for my Google AdWords campaign. Okay. And I'd say during the busiest parts of the year, I might get 30 to 40 clicks a month. Okay. Right. And during the slowest parts of the year, I won't, I won't, you know, like right now I'll get, five, six, seven clicks, just because not a lot of people are searching for selling their houses right now during the holiday season. Sure. Well, so if you were, let's say you, you spent over the course of a year, $6,000, 500 bucks a month over one year, what do you expect? Like what, what kind of number of deals are you getting from that source? Yeah, I would say I do almost six to 10 deals a year from my website. Yeah, so man, that's amazing. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, I mean, it more than pays for itself. It's not, yeah. a, it, like I said, it, it doesn't sound like a huge volume, but if you look at the profit margins on a deal versus what you're paying per month, it's, it's well worth it. Man, this is where like, I wish more people understood like just the power of paid marketing. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I've had so many conversations with people in the past where it's like, you know, well, I'm not paying Google for an ad or I'm not going to pay for that, you know, this or that. And I'm like, if, if, if you paid me $500 and I gave you back $30,000, would you do that? And everyone's like, oh, of course. Okay. Well, that's what right. we're talking about. <laughs> right. Now it's not a guarantee. Right. And that's where people get weirded out. But man, I love, I love, love, love paid marketing. It's, like that. that's cool. it's absolutely worth it. If you're going to do the work after you get the lead. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think a lot of people, so part of the reason why I paid for the marketing is before I did it, I, I would search these things and then click on who came up and I would call them. And most of them either didn't answer the phone or if they did answer the phone, it was a VA or somebody who wasn't local yep. or they were just unpleasant. <laughs> and I thought, great. That means if I get on here and I get my ad at the top of the page and I answer the phone and provide good customer service, then I'm probably going to get the deal. Smart. That's smart. It's just a, it's a funnel. I mean, you get a certain cost per click and then a certain number of people are going to call you and a certain number of those are actually going to be interested and a certain number of those are going to accept your offer. And the more you can improve each part of that funnel, the greater chance you're going to have of getting the deal and the more money you make and the less you spend. Uh, and you've really seemed to have optimized that really well. I mean, 40, 40 doors is no like small amount to do. And how many years? I mean, it's like two, two years, years now, right? Just over two years. Yep. Jeez, like 40 doors. Now, are those multifamily? I mean, that's not like one 40 unit apartment building. Is it? <laughs> no, no, no. I think our, my largest, our largest is, a, is an eight unit. Most are duplexes and single family homes. And the eight unit is technically four duplexes. It's just on, on two parcels. Yeah, that's amazing. And how are you going about financing all these properties? And that's a lot of bank loans. Yeah, uh, yes, it is. It's uh, Most of them are uh, small portfolio loans from banks. Uh, so we'll do the, you know, 15% down and uh, and we'll... We'll finance them that way. We've got about four banks that we work with, small regional banks that we work with. And then a few are owner financed. So those have been great for me. I'd like to do more of those. But yeah, small portfolio loans and owner financing. That's so funny. Yeah, so the other day, somebody messaged me and said, you know, I trying to get a loan to go through or trying to get something. I remember what it was, but they said, and and I kept hearing about these portfolio lenders on the podcast. So I finally just went out and found, called a bunch of local regional banks and I found somebody and they funded my deal. And I was so shocked. They were so shocked that it worked. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I know like this, this stuff actually works. Like if yeah. you go outside the big 
Chase Wells Fargo U.S. Bank world and talk to local people at a local bank. They want to fund your deal. That's how they make money is by funding your deal. And, and a lot of other people are just going to the big dogs so that they can, they can take those smaller deals uh, that you got. And like you said, 15% down on a rental property because a local bank wasn't willing to do that. And you build them relationships with them. Yeah. Beautiful thing. It, for our, for that eight unit, we were, we only had to put 10% down because we bought it at, at such a discounted rate. So, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the smaller regional banks are, are, there just can be more flexible, especially if your deal is a really good deal. You know, one thing I've heard that people do at these smaller regional banks, and it sounds too good to be true, but it's not if you think about it, is the bank will not lend to them on a loan to value of what you're paying for the property. They'll lend to you on whatever it appraises for. So on that $150,000 house you got, they would say, we'll give you 75% of that. And you may end up getting more than one fifteen. Yep to put down on that house, right? Yeah. Like you may put nothing into that deal if you get a good enough deal. And it's just like Brandon said. And like you said, Henry, when you find the deal, all the other stuff falls into place. Right. Of course, if, if you're buying a house for 50 grand, that's worth 200. The bank's not going to make you put down 15% of 50 grand. That's, <laughs> right. They're getting like a 20% loan of value. They're going to give you a lot more there. And if they don't want it, well, somebody else will. Even if they let you borrow a hundred grand, they still have 50% loan of value. It's a super good deal for the lender. So um, definitely do what these guys are saying and find the local bank that's maybe not doing a ton of business, especially for you, Henry, being in an area that I would consider a sleepy town like Arkansas. You may not get that in the Bay Area where everybody needs money, but out there, like Brandon said, those banks, they're not doing a whole lot. That guy's hungry. He wants to put food on his table. He's going to go to the board of directors and say, we need to give Henry this loan, aka I need to get... I need to get some money yeah. right now. <laughs> I need to get paid. And that's exactly right. The power, the power is in the deal. And that's why I tell new investors, you know, especially if they're having the, you know, the either fear of getting started or the analysis paralysis. If you focus that time and attention on finding a good deal, that is going to motivate you to take whatever the next steps are for you in your situation, right? If you get a deal that's a sweet rental, It'll motivate you to go figure out how you're going to finance it, to go figure out who's going to do the rehab, you know, to go figure out all those things that people are, are turning their wheels over all the time that, you know, it's hard to figure out unless you have a deal that you're working on. So this is going to give you that motivation and push you in the direction, right? Because it's, it's the key to success anyway. If you find that good deal, you'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. You find a good deal. You're going to find the financing for it. You're going to find a partner. Maybe you're going to be able to wholesale it or whatever. You find a good deal. You're going to get the money. You're going to get all that stuff's going to come together. If you just go and get the good deal. Yeah. On the bigger pockets webinars, I teach a webinar every week on bigger pockets. David green here teaches webinars. And that's what we talk about all the time is like, once you know how to identify good deals, like get a lead funnel and it's not that complicated. You can do direct mail like you did. Or you could do, I mean, there's lots of ways. You're going to drive them for dollars. You could connect with wholesalers, tell everybody you know about real estate, which we didn't, we didn't, we didn't harp on that, but I, I meant to. And then we moved on is like, if you're listening to the show, tell everybody, you know what you're doing, like what that you want to be in real estate because people will naturally come to you just like they did for Henry here. Anyway, filter them through your funnel and then, and then you figure out what to do with it at that point. Cause you have options. Great deals give you options. And so absolutely, yeah, your story is a perfect example of that. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. 
Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Want to dive deep into commercial real estate, entrepreneurship, leadership, and the economy? Tune into the Walker webcast hosted by the CEO of Walker & Dunlop one of the largest commercial real estate finance and advisory services firms in the nation. As an unparalleled leader in commercial real estate, CEO Willie Walker frequently appears as an expert on major platforms like CNBC and the New York Times. He's even been on the Bigger Pockets podcast network too. On the Walker webcast, you'll hear from guests like A-Rod, renowned economist Dr. Peter Linneman, and experts from Walker and Dunlop's capital markets, research, and investment sales groups. So fire up the Walker webcast on your favorite podcast app or join live on Wednesdays to see Willie interact with his guests. Plus, you can always catch the replay on demand afterward. Stay ahead of the curve with insights for life from the Walker webcast. Learn more and subscribe to the Walker webcast at Walker Dunlop 
dot com slash pockets and be sure to follow walker and dunlop on all your favorite social media channels too that's walker slash pockets hey what do you wish you would have known henry when you got started that you know now like what like other than find a great deal like what what advice could you get a new investor right now and say hey do this so i would say the most difficult part about real estate investing is finding contractors and managing contractors, Mm -hmm. which is, is not something that I would have thought was difficult going into it. I have, you know, I would say that there's, there's been plenty of situations where not having a contractor lined up and ready to go has has cost me money on the front side, right? Cause you're, you're, you're holding times and much longer and um, it takes time to vet a good contractor. So uh, I would have spent more time trying to understand that part of the business and trying to understand how to find a good contractor and how to understanding uh, how to set your contractors up for success. You know, the first, the first, you know, deal I did, I didn't have a spec sheet or anything. I just walked contractors through and said, I want to do this, 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 and this, and all that's great on the walkthrough. But then when they actually start doing the work and they forget what you said, <laughs> right. Oh or the, so true. And, and so, yeah, I've, uh, little things like that have, have cost me time and money. And if I would have known those things on the front side and gotten at least gotten educated enough to, to know the right approach to finding a good contractor, I think it would have helped me, helped me a lot more. You know, the, the contractor thing is so much like, you know, that quote, if I had six hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend the first four sharpening my ax. Like right. the contractor world is exactly why that is such an important quote. Like if you just do the work up front to do the right things for like project management in any, any field, doesn't matter. It could be computers or it could be real estate. It could be anything project management in general. The more work you do up front to keep things organized and to vet the right people on your team that are going to work with you, the easier the whole rest of it is, even though like the rest of it takes up 90% of the time. It's that first 10% of about the time. If you just do that, right. I mean, I realized story, like I've been doing this now for what, 14 years now, I think in real estate, Still and try trying to get better at this. Though still on Friday night last week, it was ten o'clock at night, and I was driving around looking for an ATM machine to get cash to give to some random contractor guy who wanted to get paid because somebody on my team said he would get paid and he didn't get paid. And I was like, I was like, what am I doing? I have been doing this now for fourteen years. How did I get here? And I was like, oh, because I didn't do the upfront work required. That would have enabled me me not to do that. And so I was punished, and rightfully so, because I didn't do the upfront work needed uh, to sharpen my axe. Isn't that the way it goes? Like, I just think, like, you have such a good attitude, Brandon, that you acknowledge this is my fault. (laughs) Because most people would have found someone else to blame, right? It's the contractor's fault for needing money. It's my team member's fault for telling him he'd get paid. It's, It's the real estate's fault for being this way. But really, it's exactly that, is... I look at it like there's like stuff's going to happen in a project. Like water is going to come down this chute, right? And if I don't have a place cut out for that water to go to, it's going to spill over me and eventually it's going to cover me and I'm going to drown in it if I don't prepare for it coming. Problems will happen in business. People will need to get paid. People won't show up. Things will go wrong. When you take the time up front to put contingencies in place and a plan in place and train people for what are we going to do when this happens, that water has somewhere to go and you don't feel like you're drowning. When you're lazy or you don't respect that there's a lot of work that's going to go into this, you just say, oh, I'll deal with it when it comes. 
And then you get caught up in this flood and you're like, that was horrific. I don't ever want to do this again. And, and if you think about Henry, his whole system is carving out a place for that water to go. He fills out a bunch of deals from his direct mail and his SEO and his phone rings and these deals come in. He jumps in right away and he filters them and he finds the three out of the 50 he can work with. Then he puts them along one of those paths that he's already carved out. Here's my criteria for buy and hold. Here's my criteria for flip. Here's my criteria to give it to another investor. So Henry never feels overwhelmed and freaked out and like, ah, I just can't take it. But somebody else would if they didn't prepare the same way that he did. So what I call is like what I'm describing right now is making a place for the water to go. That's your funnel. That's your system. That's your business, whatever you want to call it. You've got criteria in place and people that are trained and all the little pieces you need. And then the deals would be his phone ringing with someone to call. That's all you need. You find a way to find deals. You find a thing to do with the deals when they come and you end up with a whole bunch of wealth and a really cool life. And it's just those two things you got to work on. And if people could get, I see Henry smiling because you're like, yes, that's exactly right. If people could get that in their understanding that to be good at real estate investing, to be good at selling houses, to be good at whatever you're doing, you find a bunch of leads, you figure out what to do with them. You, you proactively prepare for what's going to happen when they come. You will have a really good business. Absolutely. 100%. Real estate is just so super powerful and not extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. It takes work, right? It takes effort. It takes hustle. It takes uh, a, a never quit mentality, but anyone can do it, right? If you are willing to put in the work and you have the mentality, you can change your life and not just your life. You can change the life of people around you and stimulate your economy. And there's just so many positives. And I just... I want to share that message with as many people as possible. That's so good. So true. So true. All right. Uh, so, Henry, let's go over to the next segment of the show because I want to go a little bit deeper. It's time for the Triple D, the deal deep dive. Hey, it's Brandon. I want to take a quick break from this podcast to invite you to this week's webinar in Bigger Pockets. It's this week we're doing one of my favorite webinars of the year. It's called the 90 Day Challenge How to Buy Your First or Next Property in the Next 90 Days. Because look, we do this occasionally a few times a year where we really help you set down some time to make some big goals and then make a plan to achieve them. So, to help you prepare, we're hosting this special free online workshop to help you just dominate the next 90 days. So, I'm going to walk you through the process of creating an actual goal goal that you're going to work towards. And then we're going to walk through how to create a daily and weekly plan of action to help you actually achieve those goals. So in the webinar, you're going to discover why now is such a good time to buy real estate, but only if you're savvy. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about how to learn how to begin generating leads on autopilot. How do you get leads coming into your inbox automatically? And then we'll talk about how to create a personalized step-by-step -step checklist towards hitting your goals. Like follow this and you're going to achieve your goals and a whole lot more. Space is limited to this, so don't miss it. Sign up today by going to biggerpockets.com slash 90 day webinar. Again, 90, 90, the number 90 day, biggerpockets.com slash 90 day webinar. And I'll see you there. All right. So time for the deal deep dive. Henry, we're going to dive deep into one particular property that you've bought or a deal you've done of some kind and get to know it a little bit more intimately, if you will. So let's sure. fire a bunch of questions. You got something in mind that we can dive into? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Question number one for me then, what kind of property is it and where's it located? Uh, yeah, this is, so we'll talk about that eight unit. That's four duplexes. It is multifamily, okay. four duplexes and two empty lots. 
All right. And that's an Ar- Ar- okay. Arkansas, did- right? Yes, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Huh? How did you find it? I found it through hustle. So I was, uh, my partner and I were out driving for dollars one day and we came across an apartment building, uh, that looked like the roof was having some trouble. And so we had added that to our driving for dollars list. But because we were mainly only looking for singles and duplexes, but because this building looked pretty dilapidated, I looked into it as soon as we got back home. And so I pulled up the county records and I found the owner and I happened to pull up the deed as well because I, I didn't want to mail a P.O. box. I wanted to see if I could find an actual address to mail. So I pulled up the deed to see if I could find an actual address. And what I found on that on that deed was it had the stamp from the, the title agent at the closing company that they closed with. And she was the same title agent that we used to close all of our deals. And so I said, well, maybe I'll call her and see if she knows the guy. And so she's been in the business for years. So I called her. I said, hey, Brandy, I'm looking at this this deal you closed you know, umpteen years ago with uh, so-and-so. Do you know this person? And she was like, oh, yeah, I know him. He's a good friend. So she was like, you want to talk to him? And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. So she called him, told him we were interested in buying this apartment building and set up a meeting for us. And so... We went and sat down, my business partner and I went and sat down uh, with this gentleman and talked through talked through that building. And it worked out that we were not able to purchase that building. So right at the end of that lunch meeting, my partner and I was like, well, do you have anything else you'd be willing to sell? And he was like, well, I got some duplexes, but they're they're bad. You don't want those. And I'm like, no, nah, we, prob- we probably do. We, we probably <laughs> do. And so we got up from that meeting and we drove over to these really rundown duplexes on this, uh, you know, cul-de-sac street. And he said he was willing to sell them if we would buy them at what he owes the bank on them. So he just wanted to get out. I mean, and they were, they were, they were bad. I mean, they were falling apart, but four duplexes and two empty lots. I say they're empty lots. There were six duplexes, Uh but two of them burned down because drugs are bad. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, (laughs) and so we were able to, we were able to, uh, that's how we found them was through him. And so, uh, we went through the purchase process from there. All right. So how much, how much did you pay for it? We paid $200,000. And how did you negotiate that price? Yep. So he, (laughs) that was, that was a struggle. He said he just wanted to, to pay off the bank, but didn't want to tell us what it was. And so we made, we made an initial offer of like 110, which is crazy low, and they shot it down. And so we went back and forth maybe three or four times and landed on 200,000, which is which is what he needed to pay off the bank. So we bought it for 200,000, and it needed about I think we budgeted 140,000 for renovations. Oh, okay. Oh. So what? How did you fund that entire thing then? Yeah. So small regional bank. We went to them with the deal. And because we were buying it for, for, for such a good deal and we were putting about 140 into it and they wanted to see it. So they actually came out and they toured the property and we, we showed them and told them what we were going to do to renovate it and what we thought rents would be. And we got done. And so we were able to buy that for 200 with 140 renovation budget and we put 10% down. So they actually wrapped the renovation in there mm-hmm. and you just pay 10% of the whole entire <laughs> thing down. We paid 10% of the purchase ah, I price. I love it, dude. That's amazing. Yeah. And they funded 100% of the rehab? Yes, sir. Boom. Okay. Yes, sir. 
So good. This is a good time to be borrowing money. I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. Okay. Um, what did you end up doing with this? Because I'm sure this, this sounds a little different than just a standard deal. Yeah. So we still have it. And the plan was always to, to make it a, a long-term rental, right? And so we renovated, let's see, we've renovated six of the eight units. The other two are, are starting construction right now. Mm-hmm. And so... We're renting average rents at this at this place are seven twenty five to seven fifty a door. So we've got six unit rented six units rented at about that rate. Um, in a couple of months, we'll have eight units rented at that rate. And then the plan from there is to uh, the benefit to to the to the empty lots is they're zoned for multifamily up to twenty four units. So we're gonna try to stick as many units as we can on those other two lots. And so we were able to buy a good deal, buy a great deal for very little capital down. That's already cash flowing at six units. That's going to even get better with eight units and then we'll build as well. So I'll kind of get to get my feet wet in some new construction. That's that's because you bought somebody else's problem. That's right. That's exactly what you did. That's right. And 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 we asked. He wasn't even going to show it to us. You know, he yep. just whenever you're meeting with somebody who's in this business, ask them. Ask them what they got. They might have something. They, they might have something that's great for you. Isn't that isn't that funny that yeah. just you'll hear people say there's no deals, and then Brandon will say, "Well, how many people have you talked to about real estate?" And they're like, "Well, why would I talk to people when there's no deals?" <laughs> right. <laughs> right. right. I mean, we went. We basically had a meeting where we decided we weren't going to buy the thing we went to have the meeting about. Yep. But because we spoke up and said, "Well, what else you got?" We landed probably our best deal. You know. Oh, that just scares me as to how many chances I might have missed. I know. Me too. Like, I, yep. did it. I, know. I, I, I actually, one of the strategies I teach on webinars sometimes that's a really easy thing for new investors to find deals is go on Craigslist on like, set a, a reminder on your phone every Monday morning, go on Craigslist and go to the for rent section and go look for every one of the mom and pop landlords listing their properties for rent. You always know it's a mom and pop because it's like two lines and like, a crappy picture, right? And you call them and just say, hey, I'm not looking to rent your property, but I'm a new investor and I'm looking to buy something. Any chance you want to sell that? Now, Grant, chances are they're not going to want to, but what do we know? We know that A, they're a real estate investor and right. B, they're probably not very good at listings, which means they might not be a good landlord. <laughs> right. and, and so, and then, then the third question, if they say no, like, I mean, it's a win-win either way. Cause either if they say no, fine, you built a relationship. You have a phone number of a landlord now in your area that owns property. If they say no on that one, that the question you just asked is perfect there. Okay. Well, do you have anything else? And chances yep. are they're going to, they're going to go, Hmm, well, there is that one piece of junk property I hate, but you're not, you're not yep. going to want that one. Like, yeah. and so that one phone call could lead you to a dozen or two dozen leads because that person owns two dozen properties. And now you get to find out what their problem is and you get to take it. So yeah, simple strategies like that. And then combined with what you just said about asking if they have anything else. So, so powerful. What's cool also about this is interesting is, you know, we talk a lot about the Burr strategy at Bigger Pockets. They buy a property, you rehab it, you rent it out, and then you refinance it, get a whole new loan, and then you repeat the process. Now, the reason we talk about this, number one question I get about Burr is, and I don't know, Dave, if you're the same way, but why wouldn't you just get one bank loan on the whole thing? Because what you did is that you didn't have to even refinance it. You got a loan that had the rehab into it and they just made it one thing. That's like better than Burr. It's like the, the Burr plus method. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. But it's really hard to find those banks. But the banks, they're the local community banks that are going to be the ones that can do the better than Burr strategy there. That's cool. Absolutely. Love that. All right. So finally, at the end of the day, what was like the outcome in terms of you know, what do you think the property is worth today? Uh, sure. You know, what kind of cash flow are you expecting from it now? 
Sure. I think it's worth somewhere between five and 600,000. If you count the buildings and you count the lots, who knows what it'll be worth once we actually develop those other two lots. So, I mean, it's, it's just been a good deal. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and like, like I said, average rents are seven twenty-five to seven fifty. One of the one of the duplexes is a, a one bed, one bath, so the rents are a little lower on that one. But the other ones are are two ones and two twos. And the fact that now you own this property that's already been rehabbed, your capex, like your capital expenditures and, and your in, uh, repairs, should be lower long term. You might have a few kinks to work out. There always is at the beginning of a rental of a new of a new unit that's been rehabbed, but you should have a fairly low expenses for years going forward now. Right. So right. cool. And, and also this, this property is we own most of the street. I think there's only three houses on the street that we don't own. So we were really able to kind of change the whole dynamic of the neighborhood by rehabbing these properties, which helps us keep the rents up. Yeah. So good. So good. All right. Last question, David, from the deal deep dive. Well, what did you learn about this deal? Oh man. Drugs are bad. That's for sure. That's one thing we've definitely learned. So I think this deal has gone on longer than we've wanted it to from a rehab perspective. So I think I'd say we got this deal early enough in our career, in our, in our real estate investing journey that we didn't have the ducks in a row on the contractor and rehab side. We spent a lot of time vetting a lot of contractors and have still, we're on our third one now working on this same project. And so we've kind of taken learnings from each of those scenarios and, and we're trying to be better at, at being able to do rehabs on projects, especially, especially when you have them at a large scale. So we, like I said, we're, we're doing spec sheets and I'm sending those spec sheets out before I even meet the contractors there. Like, I want you to get a sense for what you're getting yourself into before you get there so that we're not wasting each other's time. And so that you understand kind of what the size of the prize is for you before you even get there. Um, those are things I never, we, we, I just didn't think to do on the front side. And so most of the the lessons learned are from the, that contractor perspective there. Very, very cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. That, that was one of my favorite deal deep dives we've done yet. That's mm-hmm. a, a super legit deal. Uh, it reminds me a lot of the fourplex that I bought for my daughter, Rosie. We bought that one for dirt cheap, had to rehab it. Now we're getting 750 rents out of each unit and yeah, it's very similar. Cool. All right, man. Well, before we get on to the last final couple segments of the show, I'm curious, what, what's the future look like for you? I mean, are you still working a full-time job somewhere? Is this your full-time gig? And then what's, what's it look like going forward? Yeah, I'm still, I'm still a full-time employee, man. So uh, the real estate is, is still a side hustle. I am trying to move into small multifamily. I say small multifamily, any, you know, five units and up to as many as possible, really. So I'm halfway into Matt Faircloth's book on raising private, private capital. And uh, so the next steps for me, I've already started marketing for uh, larger multifamily uh, buildings. And so now I'm, I'm at the stage where I'm trying to figure out how to source the money for these larger deals because I want to start scaling a little higher. Super cool. Super cool, man. All right. Well, with that, let's head over to the next segment of the show, the world famous Fire Round. It's time for the Fire Round. This is the part of the show where we fire some questions directly at you from the Bigger Pockets forums to see what you got to say. So let's do that now. Number one comes from Brent Davidson. When you're hiring a contractor, this is actually perfect for today's thing. <laughs> how do you handle payments? Like, I know you're not supposed to pay for the whole job up front, but do you pay for something up front? Yeah, yeah. So 
I've got a couple different scenarios. So I've been lucky enough to find a contractor who puts his skin in the game and I don't have to pay him until he's completely done. So in that scenario, I don't pay anything. But most contractors want some form of down payment from me. And so what I try to do is I'm fine paying a down payment. But what I ask them to do is to show me um, which line items that down payment is going to cover so that when they're asking for their next draw, it's easy for me to say, OK, I paid you X down and that covered these things and these things are now done. So I'm OK paying you the draw. And then I make them tell me what that what that's going to be for. All right. Beautiful. Um, and I'll just add on to that, that 99 percent of the complaints I'm getting from people I love right now saying I did everything you said in your system, except I paid the contractor up front. What do I do now? I don't even know if there's an answer for what do you do now? Like you, you just can't. It's like trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube. But you paid them. You're committed. You just got to trust, right? Stop doing that. If you really, really like that contractor, okay. But let them do it. Give them a little bit of money. Let them do some work. Yeah. Give them a, 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 some more money promptly. Don't make them wait two weeks. That's not cool. But yeah, don't squeeze out the toothpaste and then call me and say, how do I get it back in the tube or yeah. anyone else? Because oh, science has not solved that. Most of your deposit when you first start goes towards uh, materials for them to get started. I just make them tell yeah. me what materials they're going to get. And yeah. then, then you sure buy it. Either I'll I, buy yeah. it or I'll make sure that that's what they got. I always get annoyed that like when contractors who I'm paying material, because a lot of times I'll buy all the material ahead of time, like at a, like a Lowe's, I'll just go get a big bulk order. Then they still ask for, you know, half down. I'm like, what? But I'm buying all the material. You you literally have no expenses other than your employees, which if you get the work done, you get paid, you know, at the end of the week or whatever, every, every couple of weeks. And still, they, it, it irritates me. And I know why they're doing it. It's because they have to pay for last week's work that they don't have money for. Right. And so they're <laughs> right. using your down payment as, as salaries or whatever for their team or for yeah. their, their beer for the weekend. I don't know, whatever. Drives me, drives me insane. So, uh, yeah, the one, if, if, if there's like one trick I've learned with contractors that just works so well, it's that it's like, they got to always be hungry. And then if you do your job and pay them responsibly and quickly, like you said, David, like, for example, if it's like, Hey, you get $2,000 when the carpet is done, it is amazing how fast that carpet will get done. When you hold to that rule of you get paid the $2,000 when your carpet's done, they will work till midnight. They will bring in a friend to get that carpet done by midnight. Cause they want that check from you. And then if you pay them quickly, then they, they, you're training them. I just get this done. I get money. I get this done. I get money. And so they work faster. Cause they, they know that it's, I don't know why that's so hard for us though. Cause Brandon, you have dogs. Do you notice your dogs are more obedient when you have a treat in your hand? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Not to compare contractors <laughs> to dogs. I realize that that's, I, I make this mistake a lot. Okay. But it's like this with little kids. You want a little kid to do something and you say, you can do this if, and you say, you'll get to yep. do something else you want. All of a sudden it's so much uh, easier la- to last obey. Last night I got, it's exactly I, I last like night I have carrots. So like I've a uh, little, Rosie refuses to eat carrots or any vegetable at all. So I have, I have a piece of carrot, a chocolate chip, a piece of carrot, a chocolate chip, piece of carrot, chocolate chip. And I, I, I teach her, you eat one carrot you bite, go. you get to eat the chocolate chip. You know what she did? She went and picked up every single piece of the carrot, shoved them all in her mouth at one time, swallowed it, and then grabbed a handful of chocolate chips and ate it. And I've been trying for an hour to get her yeah. to eat her vegetables. And all it took was a little bit of a reward. That's you, They just got it done. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And how much effort would it have taken for you to get her to eat those carrots without the chocolate yeah, chip? Impossible. Like a hundred times more. Yeah. That's, there you go. You heard it here first. Carrots. 
Contractors and chocolate chips. Carrots and chocolate chips. That's something that's going to be the new right. book from Bigger Pockets. Carrots, yeah, carrots, contractors, and chocolate chips. Contractors. And I would buy that chips. book. How to handle contractors. <laughs> you know, yeah, this is a great idea. Folks, listen to this podcast because Brandon's going to take credit for that quote. <laughs> and as soon as we wait, like a year from now, he's like, no one's going to no remember David said it. He's going to jump you on go. it. It's, it's all mine now. All right, next question. The CCC. It's called the CCC <laughs> principle, actually. The CCC principle. That, now you heard that. It, the four C's, the, no, yeah. The chocolate. Yeah, you're right. The four. I, I call it the four C's principle. And uh, I just made that up. <laughs> He's already <laughs> named it. That's funny. He's like texting Ryan Murdoch. Hey, trademark this really yeah, the fast. The four C's principle. Before David's team can yep. get on it. <laughs> anyway. All right. That was a, that all right. Was a long Next question from Roman in Philly. How do you go about finding new tenants? What websites are you getting most of your leads from? Thank you. Yep. All I do for new tenants is, uh, so I use Cozy. Uh, as my property management system, cozy.co and cozy syndicates. So I, I put, I create the listing on cozy. It syndicates to Trulia and Realtor and hot pads, I believe. And then I put an ad on Zillow. That's it. I don't put a sign in the yard. I don't use Craigslist. I don't use Facebook. I just use those sources and I get enough leads to filter through. And then I do open house style showings. So I pick a time when I will be there and everybody has to come at that time. And, you know, kind of what I've learned doing that is I get there. I try to get there a little early and I don't stay much long past the time I said I would be there. So if I said I'd be there at one and the showing's done at one ten, I might stay till one fifteen, and then I'm gone. Cause you know, if people show up late, that could potentially be a problem for me later. Maybe they'll be late on rent. So I like it when people are punctual. I like to utilize my time well. And so I make everybody come at one time. And if it doesn't work for them, I'll give them another time the next week when I'll be there or the next couple of days. But I don't just meet every individual tenant at the place. Very cool. And that takes a little bit of faith to be that way. Because you always wonder, like, what if I miss the perfect one, you know? Yeah. But all my experience with having, like, good employees or good tenants or good anythings, is they don't let something really small deter them, yep. right? Like if they really want that place, they're going to show up when you tell them to be there. They're going to be there on time. They're going to come with a good attitude and make a good impression. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. All right, next one. Next one, I like this one. So how do you, this is the standpoint that they're asking about like motivated sellers when you're talking with sellers, but how do you make yourself more likable? How do you get a seller to sell to you and not to somebody else? Any tricks on that? Yeah, I, I think I'm just naturally a people person. And I, you know, and I think that helps. I always try to keep in the forefront of my mind that this, this is a people business. It's not a, a real estate business, right? Real estate is the way that money is made, but people are the vehicle for getting us there, right? And so I make sure that I try to take the time to understand you know, what the situation is because we're buying situations, right? We're not buying houses, right? If they, we were just buying houses, they'd call a real estate agent, right? But there's, there's mm -hmm. definitely a situation going on and I want to try to sympathize and empathize with these people as I'm dealing with that. So, um, I sit down with them and I just, I just talk and I just listen. And sometimes I know, you know, I know the second I get there that I'm not going to be able to buy the house, but that doesn't stop me from trying to understand what their problem is. There have been multiple scenarios where we've done things to help people that had nothing to do with buying their house and we didn't buy their house, but it was just the right thing to do, right? And like like what? Sure. Uh, one of the things, uh, there was a lady who uh, was suffering, it looked like from 
she had cancer at some point and she had this immaculate yard. I mean, looked like a professional landscaper had maintained this yard for years. I mean, it was just everything was well groomed. And we went to look at her house and she just wanted more than what made sense for the home. But while we were talking to her, part of the reason she was wanting to sell was because there was a, a lawnmower repair shop behind her and they were running big machines and the and the carbon monoxide it puts off really made her more sick. And she just couldn't uh, run her lawnmower to then take care of her yard because she just it, she just wouldn't feel well. And so kind of one of the things we did there was even though I couldn't buy her house, we went out and we bought her an electric lawnmower so that she uh-huh. could take care of her yard. And we dropped that off to her. And um that's cool, man. It meant a lot to her. And, um, you know, if you think about it from a people perspective, it's just a good thing to do. But also, I've since gone back and checked on her just to see if she was all right. And she told me about a deal around the corner. <laughs> and um, I went around the corner and knocked on the, knocked on the door for a house uh, uh, that ended up being a really, really good deal. We didn't get to buy it. Another investor, actually, a friend of mine ended up buying it. But you know, you know, had I showed up at her house sooner, I, yeah. I might have been able to buy that deal. Right. And and, you know, it, had we not done what we've done, you know, you might not have some of those opportunities. And like I said, it's a people business. People talk. Right. You never know who somebody you're dealing with, whether you're not buying their house uh, might tell all right, and have to call you. We, we I get word of mouth referrals all the time and have bought several properties from word of mouth referrals. So I just try to find a way to help everyone. And if you think about each of your appointments as an opportunity for you to help someone and figure out a way to do that, whether that means buying their house or not, like the success will come. Yeah. Really good. Really, really good, dude. All right. Well, let's get on to the next segment of the show. The last segment of the show. And this is our famous four. All right. The famous four is the part of the show where we ask the same four questions we've asked every guest every week. And now we're going to ask you before we get to that, let's hear from Jay Scott to see what's going on this week over on the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. Hey there, Brandon and Bigger Pockets Podcast listeners. This is Jay Scott from the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. This week on the Business Podcast, we have an awesome guest. His name is Britt Foshi, and he tells us all about how we can buy a small business with essentially no risk whatsoever if we do it the right way. So tune in this week, hear Britt tell us about buying small businesses and how we can do it with little or no risk on the Business Podcast. Now, back to your famous four. All right, big thanks to Jay as also. Uh, by the way, I mentioned earlier a guy named Mike Michalowicz on the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. Just a big shout out to that episode was so good. Like it like transformed a lot of how I operate my business. So I just want to recommend everybody go listen to, I mean, listen to the show in general and subscribe to it and all that, but go look up the episode with Mike Michalowicz. It was so just uh, inspiring yet like reminding me of some stuff that I just wasn't doing right in my business. So check that out. That's why, again, the Bigger Pockets Business Show is so good to listen to because like we are running businesses. So like, yes, we're investing in real estate, but we run real estate businesses. Kind of like a guy who owns a bakery. Yes, they're baking cakes, but they own a bakery and we own a real estate business. So check it out. And uh, anyway, side note there. But uh, now, Henry Washington, number one, favorite real estate related book. Uh, favorite real estate book, I would have to say, honestly, right now has been the the book on raising capital. Ah, cool. Wow. And that's only having read half of having it. Having read half of it. It's really been, I mean, I think it does a good job of kind of explaining some really, uh, what can be difficult, 
subjects on raising money in, in, a, in a way that makes sense for everybody. And uh, so, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm definitely enjoying it. That's awesome. Good job, Matty F. Very cool. All right. What about your favorite business book? Favorite business book. So it's a little different. I don't even know if you'd classify it as a business book, but, uh, you know, I, I've really enjoyed I really enjoyed The Alchemist. Mm, mm, Not necessarily a business mm, book, but just a great book for motivation and understanding that if you're if you're doing the things that you are meant to do, then the opportunities will come and you'll 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 be able to realize the things that you want to realize in your life and in your business. I really want to write a book someday, just like The Alchemist, because it was such, yeah. it was such a powerful book. I loved it. Yeah, I'm like, loved I got to write the next, The Alchemist 2, <laughs> Revenge <laughs> of the Alchemist. It's going to be great. All right. <laughs> That's hilarious. Revenge of the Alchemist. <laughs> Number three, David. It sounds like The Office, like the Michael Scar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it is. That's how you sound. <laughs> All right. Henry, what are some of your hobbies? Oh, man, hobbies. I've got... I've got a 15 month old daughter and she is so much so fun. No hobbies. So, all right. <laughs> <laughs> she is so much fun. So I'm really enjoying spending time with her. I play basketball. I haven't played in a couple of months now, but I, I used to play quite a bit. Um, so I enjoy doing that and just, you know, hanging out with my wife. We have a good time. Very cool. All right. Number four, Henry, what do you think separates successful real estate investors from all those who give up, fail, or just plain don't get started? Yeah, man. I mean, we talked about it earlier. It's it's mindset, right? Being open and willing to understand if you're first getting started that you probably don't have the, the right mindset and, um, and and being open to, to understanding and changing that mindset and realizing that there probably isn't a problem that you can't figure out a way to solve on some level. Um, so having the right mindset and the right attitude is is what really sets apart those successful investors. So good. Beautiful. This has been very good, Henry. So for people who want to find out more about you, where can they find you? The best place to reach me is probably Instagram. So you can find me at Independence Realty Group on Instagram, or you can shoot me an email at jjwash45 at Gmail, or my business email, which is Henry at Independence Realty Group, NWA.com. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, I'm going to go follow you on Instagram. Uh, yep. And I think that's what Brandon and I were actually both yeah, doing. That's exactly <laughs> what I was doing. Very cool. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Really, really good stuff. And uh, I look forward to kind of seeing where you're headed in the future. Uh, without, I guess, further ado, David Green, do you want to take us out? Yep. If you want to follow us on Instagram, he is Beardy Brandon. I am David Green 24. Brandon's trying to get to 100,000 followers, so please unfollow him and go follow me to catch up. This is a socialistic uh, <laughs> competition that we're having right now, and I need some help. Just kidding. Uh, and then, Henry, you were Independence Realty Group Ind- on Instagram? Independence Realty Group, yes, sir. All right, cool, man. This is David Green for Brandon Revenge of the Alchemist Turner, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. 
There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the bigger pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.